Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How we doing today, A's fans? I know I'm doing fantastic as we got another great edition of A's Cast Live for you. Coming up here at 4.30, Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. We're going to talk about the moves that were made yesterday. You know me, I'm all in on the young guys. And if you've taken young guys and you've put them in AAA and you're going to give them a little taste It means they're not that far away from the big leagues. And I want to see young. I want to see new. I want to root for it this offseason. I want to sell it this offseason. I want to go to the winter meetings looking at young players, thinking about, man, dynamic young players that can play. And then who are you going to put around them to support them? That's what I want to talk about. Far different than what we saw this year. I understand when you're making a change. I understand when you go younger. That's fine. I was all in to go younger. We didn't go younger earlier this year. We were one of the older teams in baseball. An average age of over 29. That's not young. So Melissa Lockhart will join us coming up here at 430. And then John Shea, our national baseball columnist here in the Bay Area, from the San Francisco Chronicle, will be here at 5 o'clock. He's got, of course, his book about Steve Schott. He's got a big event down at Santa Clara. They're going to give a copy of the book to every single athlete down at Santa Clara. Steve Schott, Santa Clara grad. Uh, It's a nice story, and we'll talk about all the different things going on in baseball. We got a lot of stuff going on. 15 games left. You know, I didn't really think about this after last night. I was just happy the A's got a victory. 
By the way, man, are Mariners starting to get a little tight? Is it getting tight in Seattle? The Pacific Northwest, is it getting a little, I'm having trouble breathing. They've lost four straight. Four straight losses for the Seattle Mariners. Now you think about this was a team that, you know, recently everybody wants to play that schedule game. It's easy. Got the easiest schedule. This team's got the second easiest schedule. This team's got the fifth easiest schedule. We're going to play the schedule game. What happens when the schedule game fails you? Seattle, they still have the easiest schedule down the stretch. The Mariners lost three of four in Anaheim, and they dumped the game yesterday. But they still have the easiest schedule. Now, I do believe they're going to be in the playoffs, and I hope they're in the playoffs. We talked about this yesterday. But, man, you don't want to be gripping it going into the postseason. A little bit later, I'm going to read you some stuff about the Dodgers that I I was just looking at it today. Truly amazing the season they're having. You want to talk about a team that I I don't know. That's what's great about a tournament. You don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea how this thing's going to play out. A team that could go, the team that just barely gets in or a team that's just a disaster and losing and looks terrible. I don't know, flip, they get hot and then they end up winning the World Series. Anything can happen in a tournament. That's why it's going to be so great. But the Mariners, you don't want to, like, go in just like, man, we can't beat the Angels. We can't beat the A's again. We, I mean, you got Robbie Ray tonight. You had your big game killer last night, Luis Castillo, on the mound. Walks Nick Allen, and boom, three-run shot from Tony Allen. I mean, Tony Kemp. And next thing you know, the A's, they survived. And I love the survival yesterday of J.P. Sears. I, me, I was in full-on panic mode. I'm watching this game with Dave Stewart here at NBC, the studios in San Francisco, and I'm looking at that pitch count, and I'm going, uh, Dave, this is a disaster. Bullpen's already starting to warm up in the second inning. He's got 40-something pitches in the second inning. I'm hitting panic button, panic button, panic button. Maybe I... Maybe I shouldn't have been hit the panic button. Why? Because J.P. Sears pitched out of it. I've been telling you I love this kid. I think he's tough. I think he's got that military tough background from the Citadel. When we've talked to him, very regimented, very focused, knows what he wants. When we talk to David Forrest about him and David Forrest calls him, they've made the trade with the Yankees. All he wants to know is where am I going and how can I get back to the big leagues? That's what you want. Where am I going? You're sending me to Vegas. What do I got to do? All right, I'm on my way. Focused. Singular focus on the planet head. That's all he cares about. And I have liked J.P. Sears. And that was a fun game last night. Hopefully more of that in the next 15 games. But, yeah, but Anaheim right now. And, excuse me, Seattle. Here's another thing. That scares me for certain teams, especially when it comes to the postseason. When your offense is just about home runs. 
I've said this over and over and over about the Yankees. It's why I went on record on this in June where the Yankees were high and were, were flying high and everybody everybody was everybody was already making their World Series rings for them. They're the greatest team of all time. Too much of their offense is based on home runs. What do you do when you don't score? Oh, they lose. You know who also is like that? Uh, in the notes, the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners have scored 47.2% of all of their runs via the home run. That's the fifth highest total in baseball. They've lost four straight when they don't hit at least one home run. They're at 13 and 28 when they don't homer this season. Did you see the game last night? They had one hit. They didn't hit a home run. Guess what? They lost. That should scare you. Any team that is built, hey, so were the A's. That's what we were built on. Those We went to the playoffs three straight years. David Force came on the show, said ball, far, ball goes far, team goes far. We're, we're built on the home run. That's what happened. We get dumped out of the playoffs every year. Even though that, the, the, the one series against the Astros down at Dodger Stadium, that was, that was the, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl years, and it was hot, and it was during the day. It was the first game every day of the playoffs, and the ball was flying out. The problem was the ball was flying out for them, too. But for the most part, what happens in a series, especially a seven-game series, what happens if you don't hit home run? How are you going to score? And if you don't hit home runs and you know that you only score when you hit home runs and you only win when you hit home runs, you know what happens? You start gripping it. And pitchers know, man, I can't give up any runs. These guys in the dugout, they're swing and miss. Everybody's a swing and miss guy. And they're not hitting home runs. We're doomed. Everybody, the fans know it. The pitchers know it. The front office knows it. Everybody knows it. How about the note today that we will get into? Dayton Moore being let go by the Kansas City Royals. Do you realize everybody in baseball who won the World Series from 2012 to 2018 has changed their baseball operations. Think about that. If you won a World Series title 2012 all the way 2018, now the people that were in charge when you won that World Series title are no longer there. And I haven't I'm having to stare since I'm in NBC Studios here in San Francisco. So I'm in the studio that everybody did, whether it was Glenn and Ray or Crook and Kipe, uh, Randy Hahn, whoever he was doing the games with, you know, Warriors. Everybody was right here during COVID. And I guess Crook and Kipe still do shows from here when the Giants are on the road. And so I have the Giants set up in here. And right now I'm looking at a tarp in Colorado as – doesn't look like they're going to be – what time's their game today? 5.40, our time? Doesn't look like they're going to be starting on time. Tarp's been on the field for hours. Not a good look. But, yeah, how about that? 
you know, the Giants. Brian Sabian, he gone. Farhan's in. Everybody who won a World Series title from 12 to 18 has dumped whoever got them that title and has moved on. Now his date more was, what, 16 years at the helm there in Kansas City. Led him to two pennants, back-to-back. 14 and 15, won the World Series in 15. If it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner coming out of the bullpen, he might have two World Series titles. He gone. Very interesting where our game is going. And I got to follow up again on Scott Harris, the guy who left San Francisco for Detroit. I did some digging in these studios yesterday in San Francisco going, is it me? You guys are Giants people. Even the Giants people are like, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Detroit literally hired somebody for their president of baseball operations who has the experience of, I we don't know, three years of being a GM, basically not being the decision maker in San Francisco where Farhan is. <laughs> and you get, uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Well, how I want to start today is, and I'll ask John Shea about this, and I know how most people feel. People feel the record books are the record books. What happened, happened. Can't change history, it happened. You didn't have steroid testing going on. It's fact. You don't know exactly who was on it. You know a lot of people were. They tried to sell this years ago that was a handful of guys. And then we now, being in the sport, realize that, and I don't want to bore you PEDs. I'm not going to do that. I, I mean, the talk of it is nauseating. We've gone over it for so many years. But for the moment, it's worth at least addressing. We don't know which pitchers were on it. We don't know what hitter. I mean, we have an idea what hitters were on it. We know some guys for sure. And one of those guys is Barry Bonds, because Barry Bonds admitted under oath, you, Barry Lamar Bonds, hand on the Bible, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth? I mean, he did the whole thing and swore in court in front of a federal grand jury that he took the Balco clear in the cream. He was on it. Then the game of shadows, Lance Williams, Mark Fainaruwada, both these authors did the book, Game of Shadows. Phenomenal. If you never read it, go read it. It's it's so eye-opening. It's unreal. I've had them both on my talk shows over the years. And it was so funny when the critics, because there's always the, let's face it, a lot of sports fans are just not very educated when it comes to certain things. And one is when these guys who were criminal investigators – Remember, sports fans love their players. Sports fans love their teams. They they don't um, they sometimes don't care if these guys do illegal things. They just want their guys to, as we say in the NFL, play on Sunday. There are all kinds of issues with Ray McDonald and the 49ers. And I remember fans literally calling a talk show I was on ripping us because we were just telling the truth about what a bad guy Ray McDonald was and his legal problems, which then would force him out of the NFL. But Niner fans didn't care. They just wanted to play on Sunday. 
not all Niner fans, just some Niner fans, did not care. You guys are wrong. You guys are idiots. Well, look back on history. Ray McDonald, bad guy, no longer in the league. A lot of people around here defended Barry Bonds. Game of Shadows comes out, goes into steroids before Victor Conte and Balto with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds vowed his vengeance. Bunch of people vowed their vengeance against these writers. And they tried to say, ah, oh, these guys, they just wrote the book because Barry Bonds and these, these, these other athletes, they just treated them like crap. So that's why they wrote the book. And it was like, uh, these guys never went in the clubhouse. These guys, once again, ignorant, not knowing the facts. Ignorance is not knowing the facts. These two writers of Game of Shadows were criminal writers for the San Francisco Chronicle. They were not sports writers. They were not in the sporting green. They covered real crime, real issues. When the ATF raided down on the peninsula, Victor Conte and Balco, that was not, they didn't know it was a sports thing. It became a sports thing. But it was, that was the ATF, right? This isn't like, in color, it's the NCAA's investigating. No, it's the ATF is coming in and investigating. This became a criminal investigation. Hence, criminal reporters. Oh, my God, they found out all this stuff. And then here's all these NFL guys and baseball guys and track stars. And, oh, my God, and they wrote a book. And everybody who claimed that they were going to go after him, not one of them did. Not one. So you can talk about Mitchell Report and all that other stuff. Game of Shadows. Everybody mentioned in that book, gold medalist, multi-million dollar athletes, football, baseball, not one, not one went to sue these guys. They said they were going to sue, but they didn't. And the reason why I bring it up is because I just, what Aaron Judge is doing is, is, is incredible. Like, we're not even... Everybody who was even an Otani guy for the MVP is now kind of backing up going, wow. Yeah, I get it. Otani's great. What Judd is doing is arguably the greatest offensive year in Major League Baseball history. He's now leading the Triple Crown. Some people, th- because of batting average, don't care about the Triple Crown. Okay, where do you want to go? He leads everything. This man leads every major category. Analytics, traditional, he leads it all. He leads it all. It's unreal. And you know, he's not that far behind Bonds and McGuire at the game with 15 games left. You know, it's been a while, right? We kind of forget. What was it like with Bonds? What was it like with, with, with McGuire and Sosa? Through 147 games, Aaron Judge has 60 jacks. I mean, it's mind-blowing. McGuire had 62. That's only a two-home run difference. Bonds had 64. I mean, you're one hot game. You're one two-home run game, and you're right on pace to hit in the 70s. Crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy. I have to believe what he's doing is clean. 
And what's upsetting is we should be, this should be such a major, major thing in our lives as sports fans. Like this guy could be breaking the all time record, but the got the juicers already did it. So it's like taking away the luster and baseball didn't do anything about it. Cause what, I don't know what they could do about it because we weren't testing and you couldn't say the pitchers and the hitters who was doing it, who wasn't. Now I could sit here and get real serious with you and say you could change the record books. We've changed we've changed laws. Women weren't allowed to vote. Remember that? I don't remember that. Wasn't like I mean, but you know, some of you are older, remember. Certain kids couldn't go to school with certain kids. There's been laws that we went, that's wrong, we're changing that. Baseball could have had a backbone. And they could have done it. They could have said, you know what, this isn't right. They could have righted the wrong, but they didn't. There's too much involved. These guys helped save baseball. The juicers helped save baseball. Whether you like it or not, hindsight's 2020. Juicers saved baseball. Cal Ripken and the juicers brought people back into the game. Can't take that away. Bud Seeley looked the other way. We put him in the Hall of Fame. How about the managers that went in? You trying to tell me Tony LaRusa didn't benefit from juice guys? Uh, Jose Canseco's on the phone. You're trying to say that Bobby Cox, Joe Torrey didn't benefit from steroid guys? We put them in the Hall of Fame. Bud Steely goes into the Hall of Fame, but Bonds and McGuire don't. Sosa, nope. Sosa, Cubs want nothing to do with him. Look what he did for them. How much money did Sammy Sosa make for the Chicago Cubs? But you allowed it to stay on the books, so now we may finally have what we wanted back then. We thought we were seeing real history in sports. It was kind of WWE now when you think back. You still had to hit the ball. I get it. I get it. I understand the argument. But come on. Those guys don't do it without the juice. It's a four-year period. All those home runs were hit in a four-year period. Never seen it before. Never seen it since till this day. All that stuff McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds did was in a four-year period. Everybody was on the juice. Well, this isn't. And we're finally seeing the true history. We're finally seeing someone track down Roger Maris. And it's, okay, MLB Network. MLB Network will break away for his at-bats. I Maybe ESPN. Has it, Ray, have you seen his ESPN been breaking away at-bats? Uh, I did not see ESPN, but I definitely seen MLB Networks tuning in yeah, whenever like, he's batting. You don't even go to ESPN for baseball anymore. But back in the day, ESPN broke away from McGuire, Sosa. I mean, I'm gonna tell you right now, you could go to all these different sports networks. You go to, you know, ESPN is the only big one, but you go to FS1's running, uh, CBS Sports is running. Jimmy G starting for the Niners is a bigger story to them than Aaron Judge. Do you know how ridiculous that is? But it's true. It is true. And I, we have somebody with an international flavor who might be able to talk about that. Uh, live from his Lagoon Resort in Iceland, we have Commander Cody on standby. And here he is. I, wait a minute. I, I thought you were out. This whole thing, you were out. <laughs> I'm on my honeymoon. I don't have a phone. I'm not working. He was he was angry that even our boss was like, wait, you're not going to be in communication? You text me now more than when you're here. 
<laughs> Will you be on your honeymoon and be in love for God's sake? Uh, we've been in love the whole time, but this lagoon is pretty legit. I wish I could show you guys what it looks like, but it's 1123, you know, at night here. So I can't really show you much. Uh, you're real quick. You're talking about Aaron judge. He doubled in his first at bat against the pirates. So no you home miss, run yet. You, you, you more important. You miss me. Don't you? I mean, you, you, we're not working. I'll t- I'll... You miss, you miss this. Yeah, don't I do. It's weird not working. I'll tell you that for sure. Like I, I'm still working. I booked you Mark Hanna, two thirty in the dugout on Friday. You got to go find him and talk. To- it's an Icelandic Wi-Fi. Well, they have that. They, they don't have Wi-Fi in Iceland. Are you there? He humble bragged for two seconds and we lost him. I know. And then you got that ugly face just sitting there frozen. It was just. It's a bad. It's a bad look. I mean, Cody live is bad look, but Cody frozen in Iceland is a very bad luck. All right. He's back real quick. He can finish his humble brag. All right. Go, go ahead. Finish. We got Mark. Mark Hanna. Mark Hanna, 230 in the dugout. You got to find him on Friday. Which dugout? Mets dugout? I'm assuming Mets. All he said was dugout. <laughs> okay. It'd be great to have Mark Hanna on the program. So I, I'm going to ask a question that I guarantee – 99.9 of our audience would love to ask you because we're never going to go there. How is Iceland? Uh, the weather is pretty, it is, it's been pretty, pretty nice. It's between like 45 and 50. It's rained the last few days. But um, is it beautiful? But, oh, the, the, the climate, the, the geography, everything's great. Uh, I sent you a video. You Iceland, everything's, just, everything's frozen. Yeah, uh, well, only ten percent of the country is actually under is under ice. So ninety percent of it is not. It's a land of fire and ice, as the immigrant song goes, um, which is true. Temp- I once saw a huge glacier the other day. Um, if people want to see videos, I tweeted out the lagoon and pictures of our bubble hotel we stayed in last night on my Twitter page. Uh, it's pretty legit. I'll send you a picture of the bubble hotel. Yeah, literally, it's like being a bubble boy, bubble couple in a hotel. It's pretty. It was pretty cool. You were John Travolta, the man in the bubble? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, someone sent me that on Twitter. But, yeah, that's what it was. It was pretty cool, though. So are you guys staying together? Uh, for now, yeah. We're we're here one more day tomorrow, and then we go to Ireland. So I'll let you know how it goes in Ireland. Yeah, how are you going to go from beautiful Iceland to Ireland where you're not playing golf? I mean, what – I mean <laughs> – you're not going for the cuisine. I mean, what what are you going to Ireland for? Uh, we're so we're staying in Dublin. That's where we're staying. We're gonna go tour like three different castles while we're there. So that's what we plan on doing, and then a lot of drinking. Uh, might as well blend in while we're there. When are you coming back? Uh, I'll be back on October third. So the last home series against the Angels. I'll be here. Oh, you got to make sure you make it back for those three games. <laughs> hey, those 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 games mean a lot, okay? Yeah, someone said someone's like someone's like, "So, uh, how's the season going?" I'm like, "It's it's like they just keep adding games. It's like you keep looking at the calendar like, how is this thing not over yet? And how is it what we still have like I was like, "Yeah, it's the last home stand." Oh god, we got three games after this. How is this Did we add three games or was this originally on the schedule? I believe this was the series we're supposed to open with. This. this was originally on the schedule. Yeah. This had nothing to do with the lockout. Nothing at all. Or it, well, no, it did. It, it got postponed because of the, the lockout. It was like our our opening series was supposed to be against the Angels. 
See, I like to talk to you guys about this, and we got Melissa Lockhart coming up, so we got to do this quick. My millennials, because the older people, uh, to them, they act like they act like the 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 baseball record books is like the Ten Commandments, right? Like it's in stone. It's the stone that Moses brought down from the mountains. It's called the baseball record books, and it can never be changed. Ah, it's like. You can change anything you want. I mean, like, seriously. Moses did not bring down the baseball record books, you bunch of old men, so you don't have to act like like this is something that's set in stone. You as millennials, look at today. Do you feel like you're robbed of this great moment? Because back then when you were kids, the men in baseball didn't have a backbone to stand up for what was right. Well, for for me, I, I still appreciate it, even though I'm not a big Yankees guy. You have to appreciate what Judge has been doing. I hate the Yankees. No one hates the Yankees more than me. I hate the Yankees. But you got to give this guy his due. For sure. Absolutely. Well, how do you feel? Like, what, did, what happened? Cody didn't want to answer the question, or his Icelandic Wi-Fi went out? Uh, yeah. Icelandic military might be huge Barry Bonds fans. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, how do you feel? I know how the old guys feel. Once again, it's ridiculous. But uh, how you feel, because history is not, his, history will not look kindly on this era. Like, years from now, years from now, when, let's, and I, I hate to put it this way, just to know how we look at history de- deals with politics, how it deals with leaders, how it deals with countries. Because you're going to take a – because at some point, the people who live the story will be dead, right? And that's probably me too. But we'll be gone. The people who lived it and covered it will be gone. And then it'll be this this group of people that are going to look and go, huh, you guys didn't, like, think that it was weird that all of a sudden one dude hit 70 and another dude hit 60, and then a couple of years later a guy hit a guy hit 73 – and that only happened ever during that time and that you didn't, like, do something about it? Like, because I, I even think about my wife. My wife the other day sat down on the couch and we're watching Astros. And my wife goes, they cheated. Why were they allowed to win the World Series? And it's an honest question from someone who doesn't really care about baseball, my wife. And I went, yeah, you'd think in normal times, like the NCAA takes national championships away from teams, whatever. No, we don't do anything. Cheating is just, ah, it's like history will not look kindly on our era. But you as somebody who was a kid when it was that, like, how do you feel about that? And what Judge is doing is finally, what is real? He's Someone is actually really finally doing what those cheaters did, but they're doing it on the real. And in an era, too, where we talked about launch angles preceding this and not a huge emphasis on batting average, he's doing that. With good average as well, as somebody who actually would like to see batting average become an emphasis again in the game of baseball, anything that you want offensively from Aaron Judge, you're getting. So I think he has to be appreciated above and beyond. And with Bonds, like you said, since I was a kid during that era, I don't really have a feeling of it any which way, but I would like it for sure for Judge to be put in the same name as where he is right now with Roof, Maris, and up there with Bonds as well, whether he should be legit or not. That's a conversation for another day. But Judge has to be appreciated here in the now, regardless of era. I just think it's an honest conversation. 
Why not have it? This is the time. This, I mean, we should be celebrating this guy having arguably the greatest season in the history of baseball. No doubt. And we remember how those guys were celebrated, but they were cheaters doing it. He's not getting what they got. And that just, you wonder if the powers that be could be honest with us now. Because this would be a huge boost for baseball. Like, you want to talk about putting baseball on the map during the start of football like it did back then? Bonds. I mean, real, really, McGuire, Sosa, they took over the country. The country was enthralled by this. And Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic is going to join us. Uh, she's not here, is she? She's ready for if we're ready for her. Yeah, let's bring her in. All right. Hey, there she is. How are you? Good. I like how you started talking about old people right when I showed up. So <laughs> I'm with you. Don't worry. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, it's just it's I was joking that these record books that people that we've worked with for years, they act like, as I said, Moses and the Ten Commandments. It's the record books. But, you know, I think it's sad that this guy, Aaron Judge is having arguably the greatest offensive year of any player in the history of the game. And he's not getting what the cheaters got back in the day. And it's kind of robbing baseball of what it could be like right now. We could be just celebrating on top of the world baseball going after Roger Maris's record. And right now it's still, as I said, Jimmy G starting for the Niners again is a bigger story nationally. Forget here nationally than Aaron judge. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's also a little bit just how media has changed, right? Like the focus, baseball used to be such a central focus of the news cycle, and it seems like the NFL has just grabbed that and won't let it go. And you're right, perhaps if they never had that whole, you know, summer of 98 and, um, you know, and Bonds this year, like maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe, you know, we we have this like non-cynical version of it. Um but I don't know. It is it is interesting that, I mean, just to hold the Yankees home run record is a big deal, right? Like it's the Yankees oh, yeah. and what they represent. So um, I am a little surprised. And it's got maybe so caught up in this whole idea of who's the MVP that maybe that is dampening some of the discussion a little bit because there's so many people that are entrenched in this idea that Otani should be the MVP. And I, you know, to be honest, I don't have to vote in that race. So I don't have to think about it. And it's a tough, yeah. tough question to answer, but um, you know, that could be dampening it a little bit, but it is, you know, I actually think the triple crown race is pretty cool. And we're not talking about that very much anymore because we've decided that RBIs are not a big deal, but he's like a leadoff hitter. That's going to lead the league in RBIs. That's, that's pretty cool too. So um, it, it's, it's pretty awesome to see this and on a team that has struggled as badly as they've struggled the last couple of months for him to keep doing this too, is, is not, to be, I think, taken lightly. Yeah, I just wonder if you could actually sit down with Bud Selig and go, you know, look at what we got going now. It's a little, I'm not saying it's been totally diminished, but it's been diminished a little bit. Uh, if you could have done things differently, would you have changed it? Would you have actually started to look at, okay, what are the Rucker books? What should we say? What? Because how is this going to be looked at? 20, 21, 25, 30 years ago is the game change. I know this, Melissa, when we're all said and done, our, our era of baseball people are no longer with us. 
years from now, they're going to judge this. They're going to judge that steroid time in a whole different way, and they're not going to be kind to it. They're going to they're going to make all of us who who watched it and who talked about it, and they're going to make us look like buffoons because they're going to say the evidence is right in front of you. You can look at the numbers. You'd never seen it before. It's it it won't be good. But you know what? I don't want to bore you with that because I've had a long season and I brought you here today to cheer me up. <laughs> I've had I've had to sell some really bad baseball this year. I've been a snake oil salesman, but I got excited following you on Twitter and I hear about the guys going to AAA Las Vegas because we know once you get to AAA, you're not that far away. Four names, four guys called up. Should we be excited? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there were a lot of really great individual stories with the, the farm system this year. And those four guys, uh, we're talking about Zach Geloff, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, Jeff Criswell and Kyle McCann are, are four really, really good stories. And, you know, those are guys realistically you could see at some point next season. I, you know, I don't know that that means that they're going to be leading the A's back into a winning season so quickly. But I think, you know, these are the nucleus of what you would like to see them building off of you know, towards getting back to where they were with the, with the mats and everything else. Um, and if it has that sort of feel to it a little bit, this is a group that's starting to gel together. They've played together now a little bit the last couple of seasons. Um, hopefully they'll start all together in AAA next year um, and, you know, start pushing their way to the big leagues together. And, and you kind of like to see that, you know, momentum. Not everybody has to arrive at the same time, but you kind of saw with the last group how, you know, close that group was and how quickly that kind of made them a really good big league team. Um, and I think you're going to start to see that a little bit with them, but uh, you know, really dynamic hitters, uh, the, especially Geloff and, and Soderstrom. I mean, the next RBI that Soderstrom gets, and again, I know everyone thinks RBIs are not important, but hundred RBIs in the minor league season, especially one that's not um, 140 games yet. He's only played, I think 122 is really impressive, you know, um, and he had a really slow start in April when he was in Lansing, too. So, um, you know, this is a guy that I think you can build a center of your offense around. You know, he's a very much a number three, number four hitter in the traditional sense of what you think of as a number three, number four hitter. Underrated defensively, I think, behind the plate. I don't know that he stays there, but he certainly wouldn't embarrass himself if he had to go up there now. Um, but a good enough athlete that first base, maybe even right field is, is definitely a possibility for him. And then Geloff's just sort of, you know, he reminds me athletically a lot of Chad Pender and the ability to just do everything, um, but he's a bit more powerful um, and, you know, has a little bit more speed. And I think, but I think he's the guy that, you know, maybe you kind of, if Chad had ever gotten a chance to really play every day and didn't get hurt so much early in his career, um, could come up and, and and be a guy that plays all over the place, but is is an important part of your everyday lineup. Um, so really fun, fun player. Um, and then Kyle McCann, you know, if you like a good comeback story, here's a guy who hit, I think it was like 171 last year. <laughs> it was really bad, you know, and um, he ended up being, I think probably you would name him the team MVP for Midland, uh, 20 home runs, uh, kind of looks like, you know, one of those lumberjack types with the like, beard and the reddish hair and there's another guy William uh, Simonette on that team that like his hair is longer otherwise you probably would think they're twins but um 20 home runs you know improved his catching left-handed catcher so he could kind of would balance out whoever you end up with between Murphy and, and Langoliers as your other catcher um so just a really interesting player and then you know Chris Wells uh, the second round pick in 2020 and has gotten up to to AAA after missing almost all of last year with injury. So I think that's a really great sign that he's gotten up there already. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned the uh, people don't care about the RBIs. And we work in an industry that contradicts itself a lot. And we work in an industry where everybody tries to act like they're the smartest guy in the room. With Dayton Moore being released today, every head honcho of a team that won the World Series from 2012 to 2018 has been fired. Yeah, it's amazing. Those guys, those guys were all the smartest guys in the room. Remember, those guys who won all the baseball awards. They were the smartest guys. So they've now all been fired, and now these guys are now all the new guys are the smartest guys. It, it's a, and I'll tell you this: there's one there's one stat that always gets brought up, and I I got all these notes. When a team doesn't hit home runs and loses, the first thing you start seeing in all these notes before every game is, "Hey, they're only two for their last thirty something with runners in scoring position." Well, when you hit with runners in scoring position, what ha- happens? You get what? You get an RBI. Yeah, I mean, it's... Wow, yeah. all the RBIs <laughs> become the board again. When the ball's not going out of the ballpark, how do you score? Those runners in scoring position, RBI. So it's like, I hear this stuff, and they contradict these stuff. And stuff that the guys said five years ago, they're now saying something else. I don't listen to those guys. All I know this, you don't score runs, you can't beat the other team. Runs right. are still the most important thing. Um, Geloff, I've heard a lot, you know, cause when I saw him, we went and saw the ports cause I don't live too far away from San Jose Muni. So I went and saw the ports against the giants. He was playing third base, big kid, looked like a third baseman, some throwing issues health wise now playing second base. I want him up here hitting. If he comes up, where do you see him playing? I think he'll play both. You know, I I, uh, I think uh, Ed Sprague has really given him like a DJ LeMahieu kind of tag, and you see LeMahieu playing both uh, third and second, some first. I, I think he'll be a third, second center field guy. Uh, he didn't get a ton of time before he hurt his shoulder out there in center field, and so I think they wanted to ease him back as an infielder just to make sure he didn't do anything crazy and re-dislocate that left shoulder. But um, he's got the speed to do that there. So, you know, I mean, it, it, a little bit like, you know, Mark Hanna came up as a third baseman um, and he was then a first baseman. And then he ended up being a starting center fielder for the A's, which is kind of crazy. He's yeah. faster than Canna, but it's that kind of athleticism. Um, and, you know, the throwing issue is something that um, he did have a bit of an injury coming out of, of Virginia. The throwing motion is still not as smooth maybe as they'd like to see. I think that's something that can be fixed though with the way they have throwing programs and stuff now. Uh, I don't worry that much about arm strength when it comes to you know non-shortstops because they really can fix a lot of that kind of stuff with these throwing programs now so um i think you'll kind of see him all over and it really sort of depends on you know where everybody else shakes out you know around him in terms of where you might see the most time you know if you end up seeing somebody like brett harris who did not go up to triple a but had a fantastic year is you know a really really great defensive third baseman um if he arrives at about the same time and he kind of want him every day at third base maybe you move geloff to second and center and kind of move him around. Or um, if he doesn't emerge and Geloff's the best option at third base, I think he'll do just fine there. So um, he, you know, have those kind of options with that athleticism really opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for the organization to put the best lineup possible out there. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, you'd be so excited to have a piece like him coming up. I had to check Soderstrom's birth date and uh, yep. November 24, 2001. So when he goes to spring training, he's 21. I saw the Atlanta Braves come to town. They've been promoting 21-year-olds like it's going out of style. 
There's other teams doing that too. There's a kid here in Seattle called uh, it's in town called Julio Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've been seeing some of these kids and I, the A's have been very conservative. Soderstrom's a prodigy. He's been playing against minor league guys with his dad and their facility down there. Are you going to be shocked if he is in the big leagues, maybe even forcing them in spring training, or is that just out of the question? No, I think, you know, partly it depends on, you know, where he's going to play. And, you know, defensively, I don't think they want him up there to be a DH. So, you know, part of that is just figuring out, you know, does he have a spot defensively to play on the team yet? Can he be the everyday first baseman? Is he going to catch, you know, whatever? But um, I would not be surprised at all if he spends at least half a season next year in the big leagues. The fact that he's up in AAA already, you know, he's, he handled double A just fine. The, the, you know, the kid is a hitting prodigy. Um, you know, he's got growth spurt stuff that he's got to work through a little bit. And, you know, maturity is very normal at that age to kind of have to work through. Um, but there's no question that he is a fully formed big league type hitter, right? Like he came out of high school, a fully formed big league type hitter. Um, so I think if his bat is ready, they're not going to hold him back. I mean, you look at, at Jordan Diaz. I mean, he just turned 22 in, in August. He spent like three weeks in AAA. And granted, he was already on the 40-man roster, so it wasn't like a huge risk to bring him up. Um, but, you know, they weren't going to hold him back just because – He's younger and didn't have a ton of big uh, AAA experience yet. You know, here's a kid who earned it. You know, he hit well over 300 all year. He uses the opposite field really well. He controls the strike zone well. And he's somebody who also they could potentially build a, a lineup around and they want to see what they have now. And that doesn't mean he'll start next season in the big leagues, but why not give him an opportunity? I mean, they're not, you know, the worst thing that'll happen to them this year at this point is, is more than 100 losses. So it's not like they're risking anything. Um, and I think they've shown a, a willingness to do that. So I don't think they're going to put him in a situation where he'd fail. You know, I think it's important to bring him up where he's going to find success. But I don't think Tyler's going to be held back just because of his age. Yeah, I, I've heard a couple of things from people when they've said, it's a great problem to have all these catchers. And I'm going, no, it's not. <laughs> and now, and now not only do you have this great problem to have with catchers, now you got a bunch of guys who can swing it and they don't have def defensive positions, right? So now, okay, if Susak is this good, where are you going to play him? Uh, this Dermis Garcia guy, I want to see him. So if he's at first, I've already gotten a look at Diaz at second base, which I couldn't even believe he was at second base. He only played there four times his minor league career, and you put him out there yesterday, and it was obvious. But he hits. you got to put him somewhere. Uh, Sodi, you got to find a spot for him. So I'm finding all these bats that are emerging. They're like coming up from the depths to the big leagues and you don't have any positions for him. Then we're going Geloff. I don't know if he's second, he's third. So I have all these bats, but I have no gloves for him. That's yeah, starting to become a, I'm seeing this. Maybe it's too early. Maybe I'm an alarmist, but I see a lot of bats and not a whole lot of where are we going to play these guys and where are they not going to hurt us defensively? Well, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, you look at um, Diaz needs to find a defensive position. And I think, you know, in fairness, you're right. Like, I was shocked that they put him in second base because he's really not had a chance to play there. And um, he really hadn't, you know, lit the world on fire at third base either yet. So, you know, his bat was well ahead of his gloves. So that was a lot to ask of him already. But um, the other guys, though, it's not like they're bad defenders. You're just not sure where they're going to be. I mean, Geloff is, is a perfectly good defender at all the places that he's been. The throwing issues is more like, 
you know, whether the arm strength is going to be there to be, you know, a Matt Chapman level third baseman or, or not, but like, you know, he's a good athlete who gets to a lot of, of, of ground balls at whatever position he's at. And as I said, I, they're very confident that he could run the ball down in center field and be a good center fielder. So um, it's not like they're defensively deficient the way that if you remember back to the whole, um, you know, era in the early 2000s when you would be graduating these great players and some of them, you know, you hand Jason Giambi a glove and you, you hope for the best, right? Like, remember him? Oh, out the field, you know, like, I mean, we're talking about being old, but you remember remember that out there because McGuire was at first and uh, you were while wandering the world. And, you, you, know, like, you aren't old? I played against Giambi in college. That's yes, old yeah, I, I am. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're not at that level. These are good athletes. They will find places, even Diaz I mean he's not remember Renato Nunez and how you know he was a player that if he could have ever found a position he would have had a much longer big league career he's not Renato Nunez he he does have some athleticism he's just he's barely 22 last year was his first year in full season baseball and his bat got him here much much quicker than his glove had a chance to develop so I think he'll figure it out um and you know as for the catching situation it I mean it, it is always a great problem to have. And then, you know, the, the one place that you see a lot of injuries is catching, right? So as soon as you think you have enough catchers, all of a sudden you're signing somebody, um, you know, off the waiver wire because everybody got hurt. So um, I'm not too worried about that. I mean, I think, you know, they've got incredible depth there. If they do make a trade in the off season, certainly that's an area of strength that they can trade from, but um you know, the Garcia has been an interesting addition. Uh, you know, they tried him out in left field for a game. Maybe that's somewhere where he could eventually find a home. Um, but, you know, at this point, you part of the reason that you're in this position is because you're having to rebuild something that had not been built yet. And the puzzle pieces are just all sort of on the table. And now you've got to see where they fit together. And, you know, that's what rebuilds do, right? Like you have to see if the puzzle piece is going to work or if somehow the, you know, the machine cut off part of it and it's just not going to fit into the puzzle and you're going to have to throw it away and find a new one. So um, that's where they are at this point. They're trying to sort out all the corners. They got to figure out, you know, which colors are going to go together. And, you know, eventually they'll start to see a picture. And that's where when the picture is together and there's just a few pieces left, that's where you start to really worry about what position these guys are all going to play on. That was a really long analogy. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, two, guy, two guys that, are, that, that they have to work. They really, really have to work. But obviously good starts. Pache got out to a good start right out of the gate and then whew, didn't couldn't compete. Langoliers comes out right out of the gate, extra base hits. And then now he's, he's, you know, there's a difference between the league adjusting to you, having some struggles. And then there's the look of you're just not competitive. That's what happened with Pache. Pache just was not competitive. They had to send him down and then he didn't set triple a on fire. And right now, kind of where we are, like looking at last night and just these K's. Yeah. The three straight K's. I mean, the K's are, are mounting fast with Langoliers. He doesn't look competitive. Worried at all? What do you think about the two guys that we got in the Matt Olson trade? Yeah, I mean, Pache actually has, like, mechanical things he needs to fix, right? Like, he, he was not competitive in part because his the bottom half of his swing and the top half of his swing are not working together in, in, in unison, and he's getting beat on fastballs because his timing was just not, not working. Um, and you know, that is something that, you know, I think with Langliers, his swing still looks really solid. I think he's trying to figure out how to approach at bats and it's the learning phase. And that's, that is a big part of, you know, adjusting to the big leagues. And it's part of why 
it's great to have this time period where he's up there and they have nothing to lose because they literally have lost, you know, 94 games or whatever. So um, this is where he can start to understand what big league pitchers are trying to do to him. But mechanically, the swing looks good. You know, he's got all the parts moving the way they should. He doesn't have to rebuild anything. Pache is going to need to rebuild you know, how he physically swings the bat. And um, that's going to take a lot more time, you know, and, and I, I think, um, you know, his glove and you're talking about gloves, right? His glove is the reason that he's up here, right? Like he can, he's a big league above average, big league center fielder now. And depending on how you build a lineup that could still be useful, even if he never, ever gets going offensively is somebody off the bench to kind of be, you know, and the way that, you know, talking about Dayton Moore, the way that the Royals used to pull guys off their bench and all of a sudden you could run the bases and field everywhere. Um, but if they're able to get enough time with him where he doesn't have to be, you know, a contributor offensively and they can really work with him to remake his swing, he does have power in that swing. He does have the above average speed that there's still a chance that he could be at least a power hitter who steals bases, even if the batting average is always low. And I think, you know, if you're an above average defensive center fielder who can be a, you know, 15, 20 guy, that's still a valuable player. But the outcome for that is maybe less likely than what you see with Langoliers where the mechanics are good. And it's just a matter of figuring out, okay, big league pitchers are going to come at you with the slider on the first pitch and not always a fastball, or they're going to set you up this way, or they're going to pitch backwards that way. And, um, you know, getting a chance to really absorb that now will allow him to come in. And, you know, everything everybody says about him is how, what a great student of the game he is too. So I think that will, this information will help him. Um, and all, all you have to do is look across the bay at Joey Bart and see how, you know, it can take a while, um, especially for catchers who have to absorb so much. Um, and you know, Bart's really starting to put it together for the giants. And I think that's something that, you know, you, you would expect for Langoliers. Well, let's end on this. So it's good news. we got some bats coming, which that's good for the future. And then I've tried to talk about it, whether it's on this show in the post game show, you need a lot of starters. You, the average team is going to use anywhere 10 to 13 guys in a season. So you need a lot of starters. Would you say that really is a strength right now, what we're seeing at the big league level and what we're seeing even in the minor league level is that you'll go to spring training next year with a stable full of potential guys that can start for you next year and be competitive. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it was, it was not the greatest year developmental wise for the, the pitching in the system. I, I, you know, I don't think you can look at the system ERA and be like super excited about that. Uh, guys like Kusick and Ginn spent a lot of time on the injured list. And those are guys they're going to really try to build around. That being said, they're still really talented guys. We could sell what happened with Chriswell where he missed much of last season and was able to pick it up and get moving again. So there's a lot more talent than there was at this time last year from a starting rotation perspective. Um, I think Joey Estes looked really good at the end of last season. Mason Miller, who is the, another guy that just moved up to AAA, missed most of this season. But, I mean, they – they may, he might be the top pitching prospect in the whole system right now. 102 mile power fastball. Mason, Miller, Mason Miller. He was Mason. last year's third, third round pick. Um, older guy because he was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes in college, had to kind of take a step back, remake his body a little bit, and, and learn how to live with that diagnosis. And now he's, you know, 102 mile per hour monster who throws, you know, good breaking ball and a, and a decent change up and fills up the strike zone. But he missed most of this year. And then, you know, got a couple of outings in with Lansing. Um, now is up in AAA, and he'll be in the in the fall league. Um, but he's a guy who could end up being a, a real monster. So, um, 
he, you know, he's, I, I mean, uh, instructionally, not following, but, um, but anyway, but he, you know, he's someone who going into next year, who knows, but, you know, he could show up in the middle of the year and you'd be, you'd be surprised. So there's more to clay to work with. I just don't, you know, know that you could say for sure these five guys or six guys are going to be the guys, but, you know, between Irvin and Sears and Waldachek and uh, Caprillion, you know, you, in Martinez, I mean, you're looking at viable big league starters just from that group. And then you looking at, you know, Millers and Chris Wells and all those types of guys that could potentially move in after that. So, um, yeah, Burn, I mean, you start, you, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, right. Guys, right. There's guys that, and that kind of trying to build hope into this mm-hmm. off season and take it into, uh, into spring training. Well, great stuff as always. We love bringing you on and you know what? We can still sit here and say, get off on, get off my lawn on some of these yes, things. Exactly. I do. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Love reading you. And we'll have you on again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. The great Melissa Lockhart right here on A's cast live. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, I was trying to look for that stat. I recently had it. I was looking at uh, our old friend Bob Melvin, and they had this stat because, you know, Juan Soto's not delivering. Josh Bell, Juan Soto, they're not delivering at all. They're not hitting for power. They're not hitting whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, the Padres are only hitting blank. I had it in front of me. Uh with runners in scoring position. Well, wait a minute. Batting averages matter. RBIs don't matter. Right? Those are not what matter. Well, they matter once you stop hitting home runs. Once you stop hitting home runs, you have to figure out, you know, like the Seattle Mariners right now aren't scoring runs. Well, they're not hitting home runs. Yankees have gone through their droughts. When they don't hit home runs, how do they score? And all of a sudden you're starting to say, hey, there was a runner on second base. No one got a hit. So the guy didn't score. There was a runner on third. No one got a hit. No one scored. And you go, yeah, idiot. You got a hit with runners in scoring base. And how do you get a hit? That's your batting average. That's how we get an average for runners in scoring position. When there are ducks on the pond, you got a hit. You always see it. And then that, then what, And then there's nothing they can say to you. Because then you can go, well, you're not scoring when you're not hitting home runs. So how are you going to score? You don't steal bases. You don't move runners. You don't hit when you actually get a guy out there on second. And you're shocked that you've only scored one run, one run a game for the last eight games, and you've lost eight out of nine. By the way, you want to know a team that doesn't do that, and it's scary as hell. And I want to get to this before we get to John Shea. I was reading these numbers today. They're really – you think – Judge is mind-blowing. How about this? The Los Angeles Dodgers, like, you pay attention to it, and you know they've just been mauling people, but you're like, wow. They're on pace for 113 wins. They'd become the seventh team with a record of a 110-plus wins in a season, just the 17th seventh team in baseball to do it. 
At home, they're 51 and 19. Think about that. 51 and 19 at Chavez Ravine. And that's not even their best home record of all time. And you're like, really? Oh, yeah. The 1953 Brooklyn Dodgers, they went 60 and 17. That's like a great NBA record. Right? Like a great NBA team. They went 60 and 17. That's what the Brooklyn Dodgers went at home. I mean, even the Dodgers right now at 51 and 19 is truly amazing. They have kicked the living crap out of everybody in their division. They're 48 and 17 against the West. It's crazy. 15 and 4 against the Giants, 13 and 4 against Arizona, 12 and 4 against San Diego. And the one team they haven't been so great against, Colorado at 8-5. and five. They have just kicked the, a 738 winning percentage in division. Can we just stop with how competitive they're not? Remember how comp- – oh, this is going to be a competitive division. They're selling that, boy. Remember that during the lockout? Oh, Bob Melvin's in San Diego. What they're doing in San Francisco – that's a competitive division. Dodgers got to look out. They got to be watching. They got to be watching that rearview mirror because here come the Friars and the Gigantes. What a joke. They've kicked the crap out of the Giants and the Padres. It's not even a competition. Dodgers have won 13 of their last 17, averaging 6.1 runs per game. And here is what's nuts. It's the guys who stink are now getting hot. Justin Turner is now hitting 411. Remember when he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat? Justin Turner's hitting 411, 17 extra base hits, 23 RBIs in the last 25 games. Max Muncie, our old Max Muncie, not Max Muncie, our draft pick 2.0, Max Muncie 1.0. He's got 33 RBIs in the last 40 games. He's since August heating up. Freddie Freeman, he's hitting 407 last 16 games. Trey Turner's got a 17-game hitting streak. It's like on and on. It's on this whole team. You want to talk about getting hot for the postseason? Well, they've been hot the entire year. And once again, everybody tried to sell the strength of the National League West, and they've blown through these guys like it was nothing, like it was absolutely nothing. And I got to tell you, um, it's just, you want them in the playoffs? You you want them after they get a little break, a little rest? <sighs> Not saying no one's unbeatable. Not saying that. It's a tournament. Anybody can win in a tournament. But you want to deal with those guys at Chavez Ravine? Wow. Can't wait for the playoffs. It's going to be exciting. So where are we? Aaron Judge uh, had one AB at a double. Uh, he said two that I've seen, a double, and then he struck out swinging. So still lead. Uh, two guys have the triple crown last 50 years, he and Miguel Cabrera, if he's able to get it. Pretty impressive. Coming up next, we have a lot to get into with our old buddy John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle. He will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of our favorite. He is our national baseball writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, also the author of Long Shot Building Homes. Dreams and Baseball Teams, the story of Steve Shotwich. John Shea, you are heading down to Santa Clara University, not far from my neck of the woods tonight. Going to be pretty special for you in the book. Yeah, that's the alma mater, and I think they worked out a deal so that every student athlete would receive a copy of this book. And it's got a huge Santa Clara University slant. Steve Shot went there. He played there. He built a stadium there. He built the uh, athletics center there uh the admissions building so his his name's kind of all over campus but i think it's going to be on the baseball field which is pretty cool they didn't get a stadium for the a's but they got one for the broncos well how has it been for you and the book since we had the celebration for the o2 team which obviously he was the owner at the time everybody thinks just about billy bean but he had to spend some money. He had to okay extra money. It was a team and a, a time period that was very special for him. What's it like been for what's it like for the book and for you going through this time, especially since we honored the O2 team? Yeah, that was pretty cool. 20 years removed from that 20 game win streak and the genesis of Moneyball, really, and the movie and the book and um you know, Paul DePodesta, who wasn't there that day because he's kind of running the Cleveland Browns, was a major part of that. And Steve Schott sort of credits him for coming in from Cleveland and providing the software and the know-how and the smarts to, uh, you know, organize a, a team and construct a roster, from, you know, out of the box. And they did it in their own way. And Deep Podesta wrote an amazing forward for the book in which he goes back and sort of relives that time and gives great credit to all the longstanding people who were there then and are still there now. And from the front office to the traveling secretary to so many others and the stability of the organization, at least in the front office and behind the scenes, might be unparalleled. But on the field, we see the transition from year to year. So Di Podesta, who is not out for glory, is not out you know, for interviews or headlines, because if you remember the Moneyball movie, there was no Paul Di Podesta. Yeah, Peter, Peter Brand. Yeah, yeah, Jonah Hill played Peter Brand because Paul didn't want his name associated with the movie. So to get him to do this amazing forward, which is page after page of 
you know, uh, recollection and uh, insight and retrospect is is pretty amazing. And he kind of tells the story of how he and Billy were given that autonomy to um, to do what they did, to think like owners. And yeah, there was a budget and apparently there wasn't necessarily a budget before that ownership came in because under the Haas family, it was more free spending. You needed a buck, here's a buck, here's a buck. So two businessmen came in and ran the team a little bit differently. And Pete DePodesta talks about how that we didn't know it at the time because we were living day to day, week to week. And it was all about winning now. But looking back, I mean, it's sort of how every other baseball team conducts business with the front office, uh, getting together with the manager and coaches to align the lineup and figure out the bullpen construction that night and and uh, roster moves and platooning and all this other stuff they did, the A's did 20 years ago is common now. So everyone's caught up with the A's and now it's about which team is going to outthink the other in a different capacity. You know, when people write books and you put the book out and you go on the tour and you talk to everybody and then you have more people who talk to you about your book, you end up learning other things. So you've done multiple books. I'm sure this has happened to you. So since you put the book out, what else have you learned about this story? How has this story gone further? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's one cool anecdote. You remember after the A's kept losing in those first rounds, everyone went to five games and they lose game five. Well, the one against Minnesota, just everyone was, it was just fed up. They said, come on, really? We can't beat the Twins in a best of five? And Shot went down to the clubhouse and had a meeting planned with, with the coaches and the GM and the assistant GM and the manager and everybody was there. And it erupted. It just spilled over. And everybody was, uh, you know, intense and ticked off. And, and Shot popped off to Billy and Billy popped off to Shot. And it went back and forth. So it wasn't told at the time. Nobody knew about it. But I learned about it and then interviewed everybody who was there in the room, from Maka to Howe to Washington to Paul D. Podesta to Billy to Shot himself to, uh, uh, yeah, Maka and Howe, everybody who was involved in this meeting. And uh, they all told pretty funny stories about it. But, yeah, it's a cool chance to kind of relive. Um, obviously, a different story was told through the Moneyball book and then the movie a lot of it, you talk to the people who lived it, was was uh, not necessarily on the up and up. Uh, you know, a lot of fiction. So this book is actually uh, the truth, you know, of, of those years. And told in the first person of an ownership, which when you look at baseball books, I did the research, I talked to everybody I could. Do you, do you know of any other owner who spoke in the first person in a baseball book? And I had to go back to Bill Veck and Branch Rickey to find the last couple of people who did that. And obviously that wasn't the most popular ownership because it came after the Haas ownership and they, they spent a lot and they won a lot. Well, this ownership has the highest winning percentage in A's franchise history, going back to Philly and four straight playoffs, the 20 win uh, season, the 20 win streak, uh, six straight years, they contended. They were very good and they recreated the game. So there's a lot of 
untold stories that weren't touched in Moneyball that I was able to to frame in this one. It was, you know, it's about baseball, it's about life, it's about business, it's about a guy. And, you know, I, I was kind of attracted to it because it's not just a typical owner who inherited a bunch of money. And you can go around baseball, the A's ownership now. He inherited a bunch of money, and that's why he owns the A's. Well, in this case, you know, 500 bucks when he got married, he went to Bellarmine, was a very good pitcher. Uh, the San Jose Mercury named him pitcher of the year as a senior. I mean, he had a 105 ERA. He was 8-3, and three, had five shutouts kind of stuff that you would get first round notice but back then there was no draft fight you know not until the mid 60s was there a draft and, and i'm you know i'm talking 1956 where just the scouts came in and you know he promised his parents he would go to school so he went to santa clara and was still a very good pitcher at a d1 level and back then they were in a conference with ucla and usc and cal and stanford and he held his own and was very good he was a co-ace and uh you know hurt his arm Went into business, built 40,000 homes, you know, made made an awful lot of money, gave back $100 million to charity and uh, and decided to write a book. So the great Sam Spear, who we both knew and who left us during the process of the book, kind of hooked us up and encouraged me to do it. So I said, well, that's a different that's a different way to do things. OK, owner's perspective. I had just finished the Willie Mays book and I said. I had to exhale, man. I mean, those books take a long, long time from your life and family life and personal life and all that. And I said, okay, it's okay if I never write another book, but this came up <laughs> and I'm glad it did. You know, putting your national calmness hat on here, what we got going maybe tonight, Roger Maris, 61 years ago, hit 61. We could have Aaron Judge tying that, even breaking it with two home runs. He's got 15 games left. He's got eight at home. This should be a magical moment. We obviously, we covered in our careers, Bonds, McGuire, Sosa. Looking back on it now, just how sad is it that this should be an unbelievable moment, and now we're going to be like, oh, it's cool, but. Well, it's not the record. It's and Aaron Judge told me that when he hit his 49th home run at the Coliseum several weeks ago, I was able to speak with him and write a big story about growing up in the Bay Area and getting drafted, by the way, out of high school by the A's and uh, getting invited to the Coliseum for a pre-draft workout and and being a Giants fan as a kid growing up in Linden because all his buddies were the community was. And, you know, his childhood dream was to play for the Giants. And, well, guess what? He's going to be a free agent. And the Giants have money and blah, blah, blah. We know how that could go. I mean, the Yankees, I imagine, are going to bring him back because they always do. They, you know, we remember CC Sabathia, who grew up, you know, fan of Bay Area baseball, was a free agent. And the Giants went heavy after him when Sabian was running the show. And Brian Cashman just flew out to Vallejo, gave an extra year, and called it a day. Said, okay, I'll come back to the Bronx. So I imagine that's going to happen again. And there's that guy over in Queens who's got a lot of money, too, who I don't think will let him to get out of town. Right. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him to leave New York yeah. with uh, with big checks right in his face. But, hey, you know what? It's it's a great story still. I mean, you could talk about Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. All of them will have more home runs than Judge will hit this year. Uh He's not going to hit high 60s. I don't imagine. Maybe he will, but he's not going to hit 73 or 74 for the record. And Judge told me Bonds has the record. No matter what anybody writes or thinks or speculates, 
the record is the record. I mean, the stat book shows that 73 is the record. There's no little funny star or asterisk or anything like that. But the American League record is Roger Maris's 61. And by the way, the Yankees dominate the American League record book with home runs. It's now Maris 61, Judge, Ruth 60. That's not the Yankee record only. That's the American League record. So I think it's glorious. I think it should be celebrated. And whatever you think what happened during the heart of the steroid era, uh, Judge is a fantastic story. He's a fantastic guy from everything I know about him from afar and up close. And I think I think uh, there shouldn't be any taint on this at all because of what he's doing. It's spectacular. Did baseball drop the ball by not doing something with the record books? No, there, there's no way to prove every pitcher who threw a pitch to these guys might have been equally tainted. Um, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, if they dropped if they dropped the ball, it would have been, you know, their lack of being proactive much earlier. You know, they waited for the Mitchell report to come out to to react, the Game of Shadows to come out to react. Well, be proactive. Don't be reactive. And that stuff wouldn't happen. But you know what? They needed it because it came on the heels of the 94-95 strike in which there was no interest, including, as you know, right here in the Bay Area. People just didn't care about the Giants and A's anymore. The teams weren't good and people weren't showing up to the yards. And then Ripken shows up with his streak. And then McGuire and Sosa in 98. And then Bonds in 99 and 2000 said, oh, my God. And they made billions off of it. And if, if you know, what, what you know, <laughs> but Seelig is in the Hall of Fame because of it. So what, what does that tell you? I mean, if he's in the Hall of Fame and he got voted unanimously 16 nothing by a veterans committee, but Bonds isn't in. So, you know, there, there's a lot of weirdness going on in baseball. And whether you like Bonds or hate Bonds, you know, he's 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 making headlines still, isn't he? No, yeah, no doubt. Still showing up and he's still Barry Bonds. There's no question about that. You know, what happened today, I think, is very important for our game. And normally we wouldn't be talking about Buster Posey here on this show. But the fact that Buster Posey, I believe, is going to be the 31st principal partner inside the ownership group. We've now seen it in Seattle with King Griffey Jr. I'm working with with Dave Stewart today, Oakland A's Hall of Famer, who is going to get his own team in Nashville. It's going to be our first minority ownership in Major League Baseball. I kind of like this trend. It's good for the game. It could get more minority owners into the game. Uh, just talk about what you think it means, Buster Posey, King Griffey Jr., and the future of having former players get into ownership groups. And going back further, Nolan Ryan, um, yeah. Derek Eater, and I asked, uh, Greg Johnson, the chairman of the board of the Giants today, I said, you know, that's great. Is this the only player? Would you permit another player? Um, and I said, say, you know, Barry Bonds, uh, uh, you know, a, a person of color, uh, an African-American. Um, the, 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 the lack of African-Americans at the ownership level, at the decision-making GM slash uh, president of baseball ops level, um, is just dumbfounding and at the managerial level and at the player level, it's not what it was or it's not what it should be. And he said, yeah, that's obviously a discussion that needs to be had and consider everything and everything like that. But yeah, it, Griffey bought, I, I was told today into it himself with his own money. I asked Posey, did you use your own money? He said, yeah, it was my own money. Um, 
So it's not like some ownership groups will just kind of inherit somebody or, or vest them or give them shares without them putting in a buck, um, you know, which has happened in Oakland. It's more like, you know, they're buying in and they created a seat on the board for Posey instead of five people at six. So, you know, should we sign Brandon Bell to another year, uh, Buster Posey? Uh, you know, I asked him about that. It was Yeah, that's the answer. But he says, you know what, with, with the personal friendships, he's probably going to bow out of that conversation. Not that Farhan Zaidi might even ask him anyway, but it's going to be interesting. And, and yeah, you talk about Dave Stewart. Come on, Oakland. Why didn't the A's say Dave Stewart five years ago, 10 years, work for us, help us get a stadium? What the heck's he doing in Nashville? I mean, really, Dave Stewart should be working for the A's, getting Oakland a stadium and maybe more representation uh, at the minority level, you know, not Nashville. What, what really? I mean, Dave Stewart should have been hired by this ownership group many moons ago to help them get a stadium. Imagine the trust that the city council, the mayor, and especially the fans would have in this ownership if that were done. I tell you what, though, I, I working with Stu now a lot, knowing the plans and everything, this thing in Nashville is going to be magical. It's going to be very, very special what they're doing for Tennessee State, the black college there, and helping them with their athletics. And there's, it's going to be, it's going to be a gem. I think in the end, what we're going to see with Stu in this group is going to be something that we've never seen in our game, and it's going to be really special. And as you know, baseball wants to get to 32 teams. However it's going to work out, they want that NFL model, right, to be 32. And you you got you to talk about Montreal. You got to talk about Las Vegas as a possible expansion team if the A's stay in Oakland. So where does Nashville rank? Um you know, I, I know I know what you say. It ranks higher than at least one of those, and largely because of Dave Stewart and and his group. Um, you know, will it will it uh, will the revenue be big enough? Will will the TV uh, network revenue uh, you know support that team and community for years and years and and make them competitive? Uh, it, it's a, it's a it's a great story, but I still think Dave Stewart is in the wrong place. I mean, it's great what he's doing. But imagine what could have happened if he were here in Oakland. I think they would have been a lot further away and fans and, and politicians would have been a, a lot more easy uh, feeling about this, this opportunity coming ahead. Because there's a whole bunch of distrust on both sides with, with, with what one team is, what one side is trying to sell with, with the infrastructure, $350 million plus, uh, with the affordable housing. No, nobody really believes anybody. So for this to happen, is going to be a miracle. And I don't think you needed a miracle if Stewart were around. Well, since you've been making all this money on all these books, why don't you sweep in and write some checks and take care of all this? I, I'm sure John Fisher would let me in that front door. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, great stuff. We always appreciate it. We'll keep pumping this book and congratulations and have a great time at this event tonight down in Santa Clara, because I got to think the Broncos, they love some Steve Schott, and it'll be very special. Quick question for you. We could have seen a no-hitter last night, right? Yeah. Grounder to third were fielded cleanly and not bobbled and not two or three steps, not thrown lazily across a diamond and not thrown offline and all the other things that Machine did. To you, was that a hit or an error? 
I thought it was an error. Oh, I, think, yes. I think he's got to make that play. I mean, we also had a perfect. Yes. Yeah. We, I mean, we also we also had a perfect game and a guy's coming out. I mean, we have perfect games and no hitters and guys. Are, I mean, it's like it's so I don't know. I'm just hoping. Aren't you just hoping the new rules kind of level things out and make our game faster and more enjoyable again? Yeah, and I, I, I sort of question the intent because, well, you're going to have four infielders, two on this side, two on this side, all on the dirt, but the outfielders can do anything. So, in other words, you could move your left fielder to somewhere on the right side of the infield and, and have that shift all over again and just hope a David Ortiz doesn't bloop a ball into left field and run it out for a triple. But you're going to see all kinds of craziness. Each team's going to try to outsmart the other. And uh, it, it's it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. I don't like this pickoff rule because, as Mark Hudson said the other day, Ricky Henderson would steal 200 bags with this situation. I mean, you throw over a third time and it's a balk if you don't get them. I mean, it seems like we're too quick to move into all these new rules. It, it was okay with the pace. It's okay with the bases, whatever. But the pickoff thing, I don't know, man. I, th- I think it'll get steals going, and then they'll change it. This is just going to mm-hmm. kickstart it. I just know this. The other night, we had a Rangers-A's game. Two bad teams, nine innings, three hours and 40 minutes. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care how you play. Do not do it in three hours and 40 minutes. We got to get this thing under three hours. Well, they're not going to take away the three-minute commercials. No, so figure out. Well, I don't care how you do it. I just I can't do three hours and thirty, three hours and forty anymore. It's just, it's just, it's 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 awful. Like you look in the stands and everybody's gone. Like why would you sit there and watch two teams? Uh, let's see, one team is thirty-four games out, the other team is forty-three and a half games out, and you're playing three hours and forty minutes. It's, it's, it's not. It's not about minutes or hours. It's about pace. When ten or fifteen minutes go by, and nobody hits the ball for a defender to make make a play because everyone's either hitting a home run or walking or striking out there's no action and that's the dead time that's they're trying to create rules to to bring the steal back and and you know a quick quicker paced pitcher might not throw might not be able to throw 100 with only whatever it is 14 15 16 seconds you know between pitches which is which is fine i mean maybe maybe you should become a pitcher rather than a thrower well, hey, that's a whole nother half hour we can do. Hey, always great to have you on. We'll keep pumping the book, and we'll talk to you as soon as we're getting ready for the playoffs and inside the playoffs. Thank you, Chris. The great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle right here on A's Cast Live. That's my guy, John Shea, right there. It's a good book, too. If you're an A's fan, you'll enjoy it. Well, that's it. That's all the time we got. That's all we got, man. Pack show today. God, Melissa was fantastic. John was fantastic. Got Aaron Judge going for the home run record. Gave you all the Dodger info, for God's sakes. They're on fire. What are the Mariners? They want to they, they finish strong here. Hey, you got Robbie Ray tonight. What, Logan Gilbert tomorrow? I mean, everybody keeps talking about how they got the easiest schedule. They just dumped three or four to the, to the Angels. Let's see what they got the next couple days. They got to be thinking coming in sweep. Well, that's gone. Now you at least got to get two out of three, right? You have to. You're in a battle with the Rays right now. You're in a battle with the Blue Jays. It's all about seeding. So very interesting. 
All right, what time are we on pregame? 5.40? We're on, yep, 5.40 on A's Cast and the A's Radio Network. And what are we going to play next? We're going to play the latest edition of Last Call of Amelia Schimmel and Jessica Kleinschmidt. Mark Canna is going to be joining us on Friday. New special alert for A's Cast Live. We'll be on at 4 o'clock from the, from the treehouse on Friday at 4 o'clock. Mark Canna will be on the show, and we will have an A's guest for sure. But thank you to Melissa Lockhart from The Athletic. Thank you to John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle. And thank you for listening and watching A's Cast Live. Up next, we're going to get you ready for A's baseball coming up here at 540 between the Athletics and the Mariners. We'll see everybody back for A's Cast Live on Friday at the Treehouse. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.